This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the podcast where we inspire you to pursue your career goals and give you an inside look at the many aviation and aerospace careers. Today, we have a special guest who will discuss the challenges and rewards of moving to a new country and changing careers to satisfy career as a to this satisfying career as an airline pilot. It's just so awesome to have uh, Lenny Premack. Lenny, welcome to the show. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm very glad to be here, and thanks, uh, Carl and Tom and everybody else for the opportunity to uh, share my story and uh, hopefully inspire uh, p- inspire people and. Uh, Paid forward. I've always, I always admired Carl and a lot of other people who do paid forward, and I think it's an amazing thing to do because I can never pay back anybody who were my mentors at the time. And the only way you can really, you can't really pay these people back. Just there's not enough money or anything else in the world. So awesome. it's uh, the only way to do it is pay forward, and hopefully uh, I can I can do that. Well, thanks for those uh, kind comments, Lenny, and I think that's really important. Of course, uh, in anything you do in life, whether it's with your parents, uh, your loved ones, friends, family, you should always at least thank them for what uh, what you what they've done for you. And uh, and pay it forward in that manner. I think uh, as a parent or as somebody who's helping other people move forward, it's very satisfying to just see someone move into a career that they really enjoy and that they really love. Also joining us this, uh, today is uh, Tom Wachowski. Tom, welcome. Hey, good to be back, Carl. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's great to have you on and, and talk about somebody who really is an inspiration to others uh, through his podcast, A Private Jet uh, uh, podcast and uh, and also everything else that you do, helping people along with their careers. He's also one of our career coaches here, helps people understand what it's like to be a, a corporate pilot. He actually had flown for the airlines, too. Uh, before we get started, Lenny, I, got, I have a few announcements I just have to make, uh, and then we'll we'll get moving on into the actual interview. And, and Lenny's got this awesome, awesome story. I don't know if you can tell, but he's got a slight accent. It's not New York City, and we'll get into that in a minute here. <laughs> <laughs> First, uh, uh, one announcement I have. It's uh, first a congratulations. Congratulations to one of our coaching clients uh, for successfully completing the interview process and also being accepted to the Turkish Airlines Ab Initio program. And uh, so congratulations to you. I didn't uh, I didn't ask him if I could use his name, so I just, I'm not putting his name out there, but uh, congratulations. We went through a couple of interview uh, prep processes, and it's a, it's a pretty long process there at Turkish Airlines, uh, and he is actually uh, going to be a Turkish Airlines pilot and starts his training soon. So congratulations on that. Also, another uh, thing that I just want to mention real quickly, our services, you know, obviously we do coaching. Uh, we also do interview preparation, resume review, uh, also do a social media review, and uh, we also have uh, mentorship programs where we bring you through your career, no matter what that'll be. If, if you decide to go on another path, we, we help you along there. So we want to be your mentor. We want to be your coach. 
also on our if you want to check that out just go to aviationcareerspodcast.com uh coaching tab and it's a little description as to what we do again the first uh, hour or excuse me the first coaching session i should say is uh, 75 dollars there and uh it's really it's really helpful for somebody who's sitting on the fence uh, we've and, and trying to figure out if they want to go forward in their career also we've done a whole bunch of interview preps and uh Right now, we're sitting at 100% acceptance rate, which is pretty darn good. So uh, obviously, as we get more and more, that's not going to be 100% all the time. But we, we take somebody, we look at you in a holistic manner, and we try to figure out uh, what is best fit for you in your career. We also help you uh, get prepared for your interview. There's lots of things out there on the Internet that are free. Uh, you can practice with your friends and your family, do something. But uh, it's also best to hear from somebody who has many years of experience doing interviews like, like I have and, uh, and also the other the coaches we have here. Also, uh, the membership that we have on the website, uh, membership includes all the different instructional videos that we have. That starts at $10 a month, and uh, also we have in that $10 a month uh, or $100 for a year if you pay it uh, in advance, you're looking at uh, the online scholarships guide. That online scholarships guide, and um, we've talked about it, it's the now the largest aerospace scholarships guide on the Internet, and it's verified, and we actually constantly update it. Uh, every Almost every day we put new scholarships or, or update scholarships that are on there. And we do have, of course, the ebook uh, version of that. You can find that on Kindle and also as an ebook in PDF format. And that one just alone, if you want to buy just the ebook itself, is $10. And that's downloadable there. It's also in Kindle. I just want to make sure that people understand. I get this question a lot. If you buy it on Kindle, you buy the PDF version. Uh, for this year, for the, the PDF version, we're doing updates and uh, periodic updates. We were saying quarterly, but we're finding there's there's a lot of updates, so it's a little bit more than that. And uh, we you get that those free for 2016. Also, the Kindle version, if we do an update, we will send you an email. Make sure you sign up for the email list, and we will send you an email, and we will tell you, you know, when those updates are out there so you can re-download the Kindle version. Well, anyway, now, now on to the show. I, I really appreciate, uh, again, Lenny being here, and he's got, he has one incredible story, uh, one amazing story. So a little bit of background on Lenny. Lenny, you, you actually uh, were not born here in the U.S. You were born in Russia. I was born in Kiev. You, I was born in the Soviet Union. The country no longer exists, actually. <laughs> wow. And, so, and just tell us a little bit how you got here and, and what you did in in, uh, in your country and a little bit about your, your background because I think it's an incredible story. Well, uh, I was born in the, the Soviet Union, and it's funny because when I came to the U.S., um, I came to the U.S. when I was 14 years old, and uh, when I went to school, uh, people would tell me, where are you from? And I would say, I'm from the Soviet Union, or I'm from the USSR. And uh, the kids in school would say, oh, you're from Russia. I'm like, well, I'm from the USSR, but okay, Russia. I've heard this for so many times. Russia, 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 Russia. Now it's stuck. So whenever somebody tells me, where are you from? Now I say, I'm from Russia. <laughs> but unfortunately, what happened is Soviet Union broke up. And now I was born in Kiev, and it is now Ukraine. So technically, I'm from Ukraine. But still, as you know, as people ask me where you're from, 
I'm saying I'm from Russia. Right, right. And and that's a, a that's a good geography lesson there and a history lesson. And you know, you know, I encourage people. As a matter of fact, we'll we'll have a link to the Wikipedia on the USSR and that whole region. Uh, I have I have friends from the former Soviet Union, and uh, it is quite interesting that now we we uh, we actually say yeah I'm from Russia, but you're not. You're from you're from the USSR and or. Uh, you know, Soviet Union. So that's that's an interesting distinction. We would definitely have a link to that. So you actually came over here when you were you said about fourteen? Yeah, fourteen. And it's 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 amazing. I went back about maybe fifteen years ago and when I was growing up there everybody would speak Russian. Now or fifteen years ago when I went there, it was amazing. Everybody stopped speaking Russian and they all speak Ukrainian. It's like a wow. different place. It was it's it's crazy. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's a uh, so all the, the every, everything that's split up, like people from Georgia, they speak Georgian, and mm-hmm. people yeah. from Ukraine, they speak Ukraine. And uh, but it, what's interesting though is it seems uh, the the folks that are older, they actually all speak Russian. Everybody knows Russian. It seems that's right. That's yeah. right. Because back when the Soviet, uh, well, some of the old Soviet republics celebrate, you know, because they can, cons- they used to consider it as an occupation. It's uh, like uh, uh, like Latvia is one of these uh, one of these uh, rep- used to be republics now countries they you know celebrate it as the freedom from the occupation it's not like that in the Ukraine because Ukraine and and Russia they 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 used to be I mean there's obviously there's fighting there or you don't hear about it much of it now but there's still you know fighting over there and the whole Crimea situation. Again, I was so far from that, the politics of that, so I don't really know what's what's really going on there. I'm sure it's like just just like anything else. It's about like land and resources and things like that. Uh, but um, but this wasn't an easy journey getting here, was it? To, to oh, the U.S. No, so no. you didn't just jump on a plane and run over here to the U.S. Oh oh no. Uh, well, I was a kid when I did this, so most of the burden fell to my parents, and I, I'm so thankful that my parents did what they did. They sacrificed so much. But knowing what 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 I know now, what they did was incredible. Because first of all, you had to renounce your citizenship. Uh, once you renounced your Soviet citizenship, uh, you no longer had a job. You no longer had friends. You were shunned, more shunned than before. Because you know, uh, as you know, as a Jew in the Soviet Union, there's lots of anti-Semitism. So can you imagine a Jew which is already discriminated against? Now you renounce your citizenship, and that was they made sure they announced that so everybody would know, and also. You immediately got fired from your job. You had no, you had nothing. And there was no guarantee that they would let you out of the country. So a lot of people uh, who are less fortunate than our family were not let out of the country. And they just got stuck there with no job and no support. And a lot of people were homeless. And a lot of people were just basically dying or died because they had no way to support themselves. Wow, that and but what you did is you actually and your parents really uh, moved away towards because you couldn't just come right to the United States, which most no. most people don't realize that uh, from the Soviet Union you didn't come right here. Usually they stopped somewhere else, became a citizen of another country. I'm assuming that's what you did. Well, uh, we did the what was called a refugee track. Uh, there was uh, 
there was a, a bunch of people, a bunch of uh, Soviet Jews that left in 1979. What we did, we left in 1987, uh, which was kind of the beginning of of the end of that kind of deal. But uh, what was what was happening is that you would go to uh, from from Kiev, you'd go to Moscow. Oh, and we spent like three days in Moscow airport with absolutely nothing because first there was fog and then and then they just wouldn't let you out and you didn't know which flight you were going on. It was crazy. We had no food for three days, just stuck in the Soviet airport and not in the, like the first class lounge or any kind of lounge. There was no seats. We would sleep on the floor. It, it, it was. I remember as a child, it was. It was incredibly. It was incredibly painful, and I didn't understand what was happening at the time. But yeah, and finally we made it to Vienna, and we stayed about three weeks in Vienna, and after that we went to Italy for six months. And the Italy was really was really bad because in Italy, you don't know how long you're going to stay, how, how long you're going to be staying there. You don't know where you're going. You don't know when you're going. You don't know where your next meal is coming from. And I remember in Italy, we were, that's like the first time I was, I remember being hungry. And it was, it was, it was just, it was just very painful memory. And wow. It was. It wasn't. It was just incredible. It, it's like how. I mean, I remember that. I remember being hungry every day. And you know, a lot of people here in the U.S. that uh, most of our listeners are, we don't. We don't really go through that hunger, even in, in poverty, in the U.S. right now. People don't really go hungry, and uh, you know that that's an incredible challenge. And uh, you, you know, people complain about their lives and and not having certain things, uh, possibly a cell phone, etc. Imagine going through life and not being able to have food uh, like you have. Uh, that's that's an incredible uh, journey and something that we do take for granted sometimes. And and this is great that I'm hearing your story because uh, I don't think I'm going to take for granted anything after listening to to being hungry because I I don't think I've ever been hungry in my life. Uh, so that that's a phenomenal story. But now you went from Italy, and within Italy you became interested in uh, doing computers, and that's how we, we kind of got that talking on that role. So tell us a little bit about how you got into this other career field and got interested in computers. Yes. Um, the Back in the Soviet Union, you – First of all, back then, it's not like it is now in the in the early 80s. Uh, it's it was I mean, computers were the size of rooms. And I remember I had to beg my dad to bring a printout of computer code. And uh, that was that was incredible. I saw like back in the Soviet Union, I saw a printout of computer code. And I was just fascinated by that. And I was, you know, people. My parents made me do chores. It's like you do the chores, and then you can you get to see this printout for like two hours a day. Otherwise, we won't give it to you. So they would they would do they would do that. <laughs> uh, and I knew like I was I was interested in that kind of stuff. But boy, in Italy, one thing that they had is a Commodore sixty four computer, and I was on that thing twenty four seven. And you know, me and my parents, I I. Back then, I had a career of music. I used to, uh, I used to play violin professionally back in the Soviet Union, and uh, of course, my parents wanted me to continue playing. And there was, you know, I, I had to split time between the computer and playing violin, and that's basically all I did in Italy. Um, 
Okay, and that Commodore 64, and I didn't play games. I wasn't interested in that. I was like, how do I make the computer do what I want as opposed to just playing video games? And I, I think now, uh, as a parent, especially as a new parent, the, my number one goal for my daughter is to teach her common sense, uh, coding, and just not be a consumer of content or consumer of information, but be creative, have a creative uh, creative outlet. So instead of like playing video games or doing other stuff, just reading news or whatever, you create your own things. I think that's that's very important, and that's what I did in Italy. I learned how to how to program the Commodore 64, and that was uh, the, that was the highlight of that actually, highlight of that time. You know, being hungry and programming Commodore 64 that was that was great. Wow. So <laughs> Lenny, did you did you have? Uh... You know, this journey is unbelievable, uh, but I'm wondering, had aviation crossed your mind yet? Oh, uh, in the Soviet Union, the, cl- the closest uh, that I came to an airplane was there was a museum, and I loved going there, and they had fighter planes and things like that. They're all old, obviously. They're all, like, not working. It's not like in America where you have working uh, you know, air shows and working planes coming in, and you could see that. That stuff was old. It wasn't working, but I was fascinated by that. But as a Jew growing up in the Soviet Union, and uh, I certainly, you know, I, I asked my dad, could I ever fly one of these things? And he's like, not as a Jew. You you can never even, they, they won't even let within, let you within 100 miles of a working airplane. So you caught the uh, the bug, real early but just due to circumstances it was kind of like well oh well yes yeah that's exactly right and we'll, we'll get back to that a little bit later how how i actually got got to this uh, where i am yeah but but it's yeah aviation not even not even on the radar back then and there's a, there's a lot, and this is a great because there's so many people listening right now who feel that aviation's no nowhere near their radar. But compared to your situation, I, I think I think their scope is is too, you know, is a little too small because your yours was like millions of miles away the opportunity to fly, and and you actually did that. But to get there, you you had to pay for that and, and actually have a career. So how in the world? Were you able to get from you playing the violin? I know you're a professional player and all, and then computers and learning and programming. But you have to you have to turn that into something where you can make money. How did you do that? Well, okay. So going back a little bit. So after Italy, I came to New York City, and I was very fortunate that my aunt and uncle came to New York City uh, with their two kids in 1979. So a lot of people had a struggle when they came to the country. First of all, when I came to the U.S., uh, my uncle and aunt picked us up, picked our family up. It was big celebration. We finally got in to the United States. Our journey was finally over. And now I was supposed to get into my uncle's Mercedes or BMW and go to, you know, get all the all the food that, that, that you want on the, the beautifully stocked shelves in America and go to our beautiful big house and, uh, and, and just never have to worry about, about, about money ever again. Surprise, surprise, my uncle picks me up. Well, first of all, I'm going to the parking lot and I'm like looking at a Mercedes. Is this our car? I'm like, no. Is this go to the BMW? Is this our car? No. Here comes my uncle's car, which is an 
old beat up Datsun that had panels of different colors and had a bad muffler. I'm like, what is this? This is not America. <laughs> so you're, you're, that that vision was kind of crushed there, I guess. Yeah, it was my Mercedes and BMW vision was 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 very crushed, and then you know. And, and and I'm so glad for my aunt and uncle. They actually rented an apartment for us. Um, and the Jewish community in the U.S. back then, I don't know how it is now. Now it's like totally different. But back then, uh, the uh, United Jewish Appeal is a uh, uh, charity. They would help the newly emigrated Jews, Soviet Jews, to settle into their new home. So it was... Uh, between the UGA Federation and my aunt and uncle, they rented an apartment that's close to us. So that was a huge help. Um, so the, but the apartment was, there's four of us. There was my mom and dad, me, and my grandma. And we had a um, maybe 400, 500 square foot apartment, one bedroom apartment for the four of us, which was, you know, it was actually smaller than what we had in the Soviet Union. Uh, which was, you know, again, the big disappointment, no big house with, you know, servants or, or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> Much different vision, but, uh, and, and still, of course, aviation's way off the radar. Oh, um, there's no aviation. There's, yeah. no, there's no aviation. There's no aviation there. Yeah. So I had to struggle through that. There was no language. Um, I didn't know English. My dad tried to have me learn English, but you know, there's a big difference between book learning and actually uh, doing anything here. So, and we had a big struggle. So we had the apartment, we had a little bit of help from UGA. Um, so, but now this is, the, the, we came to a crossing point. My dad thought he's going to get a job and making a hundred grand a year right off the bat because he's, you know, in Russia, Mechanical engineer was very high, highly regarded profession, but he came to the United States. He had no language. He had no idea of how things were done in the U.S. He had no U.S. experience, so he couldn't get a job right away. And I was, you know, I was a kid. I was, you know, studying, and I need to enroll in school to continue my violin lessons, and uh, all that stuff. So there was there was a lot of there was a lot of adjustment. Again, aviation was nowhere near near the radar. Uh, so what what wound up happening was that I there was a lot of pressure. There was no money coming in in the whole family because my dad, when he did finally get a job about a year and a half later, he, he was making $40,000 a year, which in New York, even at that time, was not very, there was not very good salary to support him and three other people. So there was always a lot of pressure because we never had, I mean, we had enough money to eat, but that's, that was about it. So there was always pressure on me to either make it in violin like big time so I could make money to support the family or doing something else. And that was a big, that was a big, huge moment in my life when I was 16 to, uh, there was, there was basically uh, make money or our family is not going to make it. So I, we kind of came, to, well, I kind of came to the conclusion that viol I was not going to make money doing violin. So what's the other way to make money in this country? And I already had a passion for computers. 
So I'm like, I, I, I lied about my age. I was 16 at the time. I said I was 18, and I actually went out, and I went to about 21 interviews before I got my first job in computers. And I was making 50 grand a year, which was pretty high salary at the time. And my, then my parents were happy because now between my salary and my dad's salary, we're af- finally able to make ends meet. And that was and 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 that was basically the start. So after that, um, I actually, you know, in my aviation career, I really did not start at the right time. I'm jumping ahead here, but at when I did my computers, by my computer programming stuff, I jumped in at exactly the right time by luck. So after I got my first job. Then about a year or two two years later, I got some experience. I was able to command basically whatever salary I wanted at the time. So I went to another job which gave me well over a hundred thousand. And after that, another year later, there was people were calling me five times a day, offering me you know it's incredible amount something today nobody would ever nobody would ever offer you know right. it's 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 like there were offers like half a million even a million dollars a year wow and and so that's a that's a huge difference in a in a in a short amount of time so now that that dream of doing things that you didn't think you could do is is now opening up isn't it that's right so by the time i was about 20 years old i was making more money than i could ever spend and I wasn't working very hard. I was I was working, well, I shouldn't say that. I was working extremely hard when I was working. I was working nights. I was working days. I was working. Basically, I was really thinking about work 24 hours a day. And I was, I was working about 10 to 12 hours a day. But there were days where I could just take off and not think about it. And so amazingly enough, this is my birthday coming in, my 20th birthday. And my mom is like, uh, Here's a birthday present for you. And she gave me, you know, she gave me instead of money because my parents didn't really have money to give me. And they, you know, why would I take money when I'm making my own money? I was, my mom just gave me an address of a flight school. And she's like, here's your birthday present. Here's an address. I scheduled you an appointment for a flight. And I was like, really? That if, <laughs> this was so far from my radar. Like, really? Is this even possible? And, and, and she's like, well, here it is. They made you an appointment. Go out there and take your first flight. I was, I could not sleep the night before. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I can actually, I, am I actually going to fly the plane? I didn't, I didn't really believe that that was actually happening. I didn't sleep the night before. I was nervous. I didn't know. I was excited. It was so, it was so exciting. And then I went out and lo and behold, they put me into a Cherokee 140 with an instructor and instructor is like, you're going to do the takeoff. And I still couldn't believe it. That's cool. And I remember this for the rest of my life. My first takeoff in the Cherokee 140, I was I was done. I was like, <laughs> this is what I want to do. I want to fly, 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 fly. So that's basically how I caught the bug. So what, what airport was that just – it's Republic Airport. Oh, Republic. Okay, yeah, Republic. You said that. Interesting. Wow. And then you know, it, it's like so many of us when we're introduced to aviation, uh, it's just it's a it's a aha you know moment where we we're introduced to something that's just so wonderful 
And that's what happened to you. That's really, really yeah. cool. So I have to thank my mom, like really thank my mom for, you know, for introducing me to aviation because again, that's something that was not on my radar that I could actually do. And, you know, thanks to this, I met my wife and thanks to thanks to this, thanks to aviation. I really have to thank aviation because because of aviation, not anything else. I met my wife. I have a child just because of aviation. Awesome. And, and you know, we, we have to be thankful to those people that get us into it. Just like you said with your mother, uh, I know you that are listening right now, there's somebody that, that said to you, hey, you know, you can do this. And I still remember the person that said to me, hey, you know, you can fly an airplane. And I can't thank that person because I don't know where they are now. Uh, but I do remember the person that said to me, hey, you know, you can do this for a living. And that person has totally changed my life, just like your mom changed your life in giving you this, this flight. But now now to go from that, you, you were able to, to move forward, and now you have some money. So you're able to purchase lessons. I'm assuming that's what you did when you after yeah. you got your first flight. Yeah, I have to thank my mom uh, for introducing me to aviation, which changed my life. Because as 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 you guys know, aviation just doesn't just change; it, it, it changes who you are. Because you, it, there's nothing like being a pilot in command and saying you are holding your life and the life of your passengers in your hands. Because that's exactly what you're doing. There is no feeling like that in the world. This is. You you are really you are an aviator and your the responsibility is immense, but it's like it's you're, it's a responsibility and you can also have fun doing it. There is I don't think there is any other kind of activity that does that. Yeah, oh, I agree, and, and I love how you use the term aviator. A lot of people think we're just you know bus drivers in the air, but we we truly are. Not to say anything bad about bus drivers, but of course we're we're doing more than just pushing buttons. We are truly aviators. And we're we're so interested in the people that are behind us, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, sometimes we forget about that when we're we're moving through our, our career. We we forget about those people sitting in the back, and I think that's what's helped you because you've been doing this for a while. Uh, yes. it, it it's been been a, and I don't know how many years uh, you are now actually. It's been over twenty years, I think. Twenty yeah. years, and at, and at that point, you you got all your ratings and all. You went on to the regionals. How long have you been a regional pilot now? Well, I have to I have to thank Richard Feliciano for introducing me to commercial aviation because just like before, my mom scheduled me an appointment for for um, for my uh, first flight. I had no idea that I even could anywhere near qualified for for being do, doing the commercial aviation stuff because I always thought you had to go to military and you have to you know have to have five thousand hours. Uh, I didn't even know to, to, I'd never been on a regional jet. I didn't even know the regional industry existed. Uh, so this kind of stuff, I was so to go back a little bit. I I caught the aviation bug and. Every time I could go fly, I would. I would. I'm one of those people. I I I love. I mean, safety is number one. But besides that, besides that, I like to have fun in an airplane. I like to visit new places, and I like to challenge myself. So I would actually. You know, I got my instrument rating. I I think instrument rating is the best rating you can have. I mean, obviously. You can you 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 need your private rating just to you know get up in the air. But the best rating that I think I've ever gotten was the instrument rating because there is no feeling 
in the world. Like you go out, I would seek out the lowest IMC days I could find. And I would, I, I would just, I love doing, doing uh, instrument approaches to minimums. I love doing that. I love just the feeling of having the runway pop up in front of you. I love the challenge. It was that that's really it, it, that that stuff and and it's not the technical stuff it's just decision making because the worse weather you have to go to the more decisions you have to make like uh, and i've i've scrubbed flights i diverted many times i didn't care because i've got to experience that decision making tree and that 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 whole unique experience of being a weather pilot not necessarily in the best equipment because you know if you're if you're flying IMC the minimums in the jet that's no big deal because you've got your all of your stuff. Back then you had a six pack, you had uh, a rudimentary uh, GPS with no approaches, and that was it. So it was actually a challenge to keep your situational awareness and all that stuff. And and I actually loved that. That really brought me the most joy is the ability to. The ment- it's the mental game that brought me the most joy. I'm glad you brought that up because it's truly about making decisions and the challenges that are put in front of you. And it's not just about hand flying, but, but obviously you've done this for a while, so you've made the right decisions because you're still here and you... That's right. You know. <laughs> I scared myself a few times. I have to admit that. There was, there was times where I pushed it, well, maybe a little too much. But did well, I ever endanger myself? No. Scared? There were there were a couple of times, but you know if you don't expand your envelope, you don't learn. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, as far as as being a little bit scared in an airplane or doing something you weren't comfortable with, uh, we all have that. I mean, I, I know there's people that have written in and and asked me personally. You know, is there is there anything you've done that that was kind of silly or stupid and and you feel bad about? It? Heck yeah, you know. Yep. I, I mean, we all have, right? Yep. And, uh, and, but you've learned from those experiences and you move forward and that's something that's important and make sure you don't make the big mistakes, you know, too big of a mistake. And that's, That's and that's the reason we have a couple of people in the cockpit. What's interesting is what you said about doing approaches like in a, in a jet and, and something with a lot of equipment, you were, it sounds like you really had a lot of excitement there flying the small airplanes. Uh, how about in the, in the airlines? I mean, you've moved, you moved on from, from flying and then flight instructing, I'm assuming, and then into the airlines. Uh, and we'll I never, I've never flexed flight instructed. Okay. I do have a flight instructor rating. I got that for fun. I maybe have t- less than ten hours dual given just to you know take my friends up and give them, giving them a little bit of instruction. Well, then before I ask my my next question, let's go back to that. How how did you get from where you were as a pilot to the airlines and get your experience? Well, I again I had a. A, a very lucky streak of job opportunities to be able to make money um, as a computer programmer. Uh, I, I caught the wave where, again, the salaries were really outrageous. And now it's like now it's hard to get over a hundred grand as a programmer. Back then, people would throw you a million dollar offers. So I was lucky enough to catch that wave. I never quite got the, the million dollar one because you know it requires driving to uh, Stanford, Connecticut. Oh my God, that's horrible from New York City. That's like three hour drive each way. There's <laughs> no way I could do that quality of life. I don't care how much they paid me. But I've, I've made I, I, I've made over three hundred thousand dollars consistently for a few years, and I was lucky to have that. Uh, and that's why that's how every weekend. 
I would take maybe two and a half, three day weekends. So for every every weekend, I would line up a flight. Uh, so I would go. I would go everywhere. I go to like Martha's Vineyard, Block Island, down to the first flight airport in North Carolina, uh, Kill Devil Hills. Um, I would take my parents, my friends with me. Uh, I would just seek out again. I would seek out bad weather uh, and just do approaches, training flights. Uh, any any time I could fly, I would. And uh, in about. I guess 10 years, I got up to, well, maybe nine years. I got up to 800 hours of, of flight time. A lot of it was IMC. A lot of it was approaches. A lot of it was uh, uh, was was basically weather flying, and I loved doing that. And then I had, I was, one of my contracts had ended, and uh, I, I went to a wedding in L.A., and I, just, I decided to take my time and travel the country uh, uh, back and I was in uh, in Phoenix and all of a sudden I was like well, the weather's good here why don't I just get my multi-engine ready so I called <laughs> up a flight school they're like no we're busy for the next two months I'm like no I, I, I need that in the next few days so I called another <laughs> one it, it was uh, it was ATP I know you guys mentioned that in the uh, in the past ATP I had an amazing experience with them so I would recommend them uh, so I got there and uh, the instructor was there and they have this airline style training, which I, you know, my preference, I, I love airline style training. So they got me in four days, they knocked out my multi-engine commercial and it was the best training experience I've had ever until that point. So you would, if someone's listening again, and they're thinking about doing one of those programs that is very concentrated, you are a big fan. I'm a big fan of them too. But big fan. Big because fan. You, you get through it. Now, my question though is, do you feel that you may have missed something by doing it so quickly? Or do you feel it was better doing it the way you did it? It was absolutely better the way, the I, my opinion is it's absolutely better. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like when you're done, go away, you're, you're done. It's, it's. If you miss something, there is nothing that prevents you from going with an instructor and getting that experience. In fact, I'm a big fan of getting the experience after you get your rating because when you are flying with an instructor before you get your rating, it's always a checkout flight. You're always nervous. Everybody's the instructor is always judging you. You're afraid to fail. And that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're more likely to fail when you're scared. So once you get once you're prepared, you get your rating in a concentrated way, then you fill your gaps with experience. That way you're more friendly with an instructor. You're not afraid to screw up. You're not afraid of, you know, making mistakes. You're not afraid of failure. When you're not afraid of failure, you're both working as a team and not, you know, I fly, you check, you check what I do. We're both learning. We have learning experience. And that way you have much more to gain from that from that flight lesson. Interesting. That's a that's a real neat pers perspective on that. So now you you were able to get this multi-time and get your rating. Uh, I'm assuming, though, the airlines didn't just hire you with, with just a few hours of multi. Uh, no. So I've got, uh, it was 10 hours of multi, I believe, that I got over that four days, which was, you know, I fell in love with multi-engine flying. I was like, this brings up a whole new opportunity, whole new amazing like amazing amazing uh, type of flying so uh 
later on, a few months, maybe not even a few months later. Oh, before I, before I go into that, so my instructor, who is Rich Feliciano, who I thank for for getting me into the airline flying, he's like, which airline are you applying to? I'm like, I don't want to work for an airline. I, I don't want to make twenty thousand dollars a year for God knows how long, and you know, and you know, be slave to their schedules. So I'm just doing this for fun. And he's like, I got 400 hours, and I had 800 at the time. Uh, and he's like, I got, you got way more hours than I do, and I'm applying to Express Chat, and uh, and they're gonna, you know, to, and, and they're a wonderful company. So I was like, I was thinking about it. Nah, I don't want to do this. So about three months later, uh, I thought hard and fast about this stuff. And I was like, if I don't take this opportunity now when I'm free, maybe I'll like it. Maybe I don't. I can always quit. But if I don't try, I'll probably never forgive myself. This is my only opportunity to fly bigger equipment, jet equipment. And, you know, I had dreams back then. I, you know, I had I had a company that uh, was, uh, you know, it's going to be the next Microsoft or something like that. And I was having a dream of being, being, you know, a founder of that company and buying my own jet. But that, that was af- but after the whole dot-com crash, that wasn't happening again. And then I was like, yeah, if I don't do this, I'll never forgive myself because I'll never, this, my, you know, my dreams of buying my own jet are over. So I might as well try, try this. And if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I, could, I can go, always go back to programming. So... And obviously, the regional airlines will not take you with 10 multi. Uh, at the time, there was like 100 multi. It's 100 multi-engine that, that, that their requirements were, basically across the board. So what I did was the most incredible thing. Instead of, you know, just uh, just doing some, something boring, like going, going around the pattern or something in a twin for 100 hours, I took... Rich, because he was free at the time, he finished his training at uh, at ATP, and another friend of mine, and we rented a twin Comanche, and we went across the country. We went from the East Coast to the West Coast, like to Seattle, to the North, to the South. We went to the Bahamas, uh, and stopping along the way, we went to uh, you know Yellowstone Park. We went to we flew like the highlight of that. We were we had oxygen, and we went all to all of the Colorado high high altitude mountain airports. And we went to all of them. We went to Aspen. We went to uh, uh, the uh, what, what was uh, you guys remember? What's the highest altitude the airport in the United States? It's, it's, it skips my mind now. Oh gosh, I, I can't remember. It's not not the one out there uh, off the the ledge, but it's uh, outside uh, Colorado. But well, Leadville, Leadville. That's yeah, it. that's it. Yeah, Leadville. Yeah, yeah. So I went to Leadville. Um, we went to uh, we went like skiing and on the beach. We, it, it was an incredible trip. And you know, by the time that was over, we got we got we got a hundred hours multi. Wow, and that and that's how you build your multi. And what's interesting when you when you were saying this, it it dawned on me that there are some programs like that at some of these uh, schools. Like I think all ATPs does something like yep. that. And yep. Uh, yep. did you did you look at doing something like that, or was that what you actually did? No, you just rented I, the plane. 
I didn't look at I didn't look at doing that, but not necessarily because it's bad or anything. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's wonderful. I just you know instead of getting some random person, I'd rather fly with people that I knew. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So and and that's another option. I've told people that if you have the time and the money, it's another way to build your multi time is is to go out there and, and just fly it yourself. Uh, and that's the option that you took. So you were able to get your hundred hours of multi, and now yeah. you are able to apply to the airlines. Did you? do that right away after you got your 100 hours it was in i just have to say that was uh top five experiences in my life Mm -hmm. doing that long cross country because nowhere in i i mean i i don't see getting such a diverse experience in doing any any, anything else it it, it was incredible and uh I did I did that for the experience primary and to get a hundred hours secondary, and I applied to the airlines about maybe a couple of months later after that. Not not exactly, because I had some life things to sort out. Because I wanted before I applied to the airline, I wanted to make sure that all of my life stuff was sorted out. Because as you guys know, when you go to training, especially first time jet training, is probably the hardest training you'll ever experience yeah, yeah. so you have to, to get all that all that stuff uh, all the all your home stuff together yeah i think that's great advice i mean that's that's awesome because uh if you're going to training i, I think people brush that off sometimes they don't realize how tough it is when you go to your first airline training, if it's a turboprop or a jet, whatever, you need to be ready for that. And I think that's some awesome uh, advice. Get your life in order uh, before you go. So, Lenny, that, that's some, some really good advice. So then you were able to, to get your life together, and then you, you decided to move on. Yes. Um, I, I basically uh, got a little bit disillusioned with the, with the industry, which I was working on, uh, the computer programming, not the computer programming industry, but the, indus- the specific industry, specific segment of the industry I was working on. And I tried to, and it was, again, it was an opportunity of a lifetime because, you know, that was, I mean, I'd never get to fly bigger equipment, fly for, for money. And I didn't know if I would like it or not, but, you know, it was worth trying. Um, again, I never in my, my life as, as a kid, you know, I want to be an airline pilot that never, that never entered my mind. It was the primary, my primary responsibility is, was taking care of my parents and my family. That, that was the primary, primary goal. And only after that was kind of in the bag, I saved enough money to make sure that my family's always taken care of that I can actually afford to take the pay cut to go into the airline industry. And I've had, um, I applied to four companies. I had actually quite a tough time at the time getting on board. I had a few setbacks. I, um, I had a speeding ticket. And back then, one of the companies looked very negatively on that. And once they found out on the interview that I had a speeding ticket, they basically walked me off property and sent me home oh, wow. with, with a very, very negative, uh, negative speech that, that basically I don't belong and, and I'm no good. And, wow. And How'd you overcome that? It was just, it was, it was, it was quite, that was the first interview I, I went to and they told me that I, I would, I shouldn't, I should like not even try and get out. Wow. Basically. Gosh, that's horrible. I mean, because there's, you know, it's a speeding ticket, and I'm, and there's so many people that have those, and and are now flying for the airlines. I'm glad. Yeah, you know, I'm I think there's you. a 
it, there's a good lesson there uh, because Carl, you can attest to this as well. You know, you climb up through this career and you run into the wrong people. And I think that's what Lenny's saying is maybe you didn't know at the time, Lenny, but, uh, you know, Hey, we've all made mistakes. Unfortunately, you get with the wrong group and they'll exacerbate those mistakes into making your journey harder. So, you know, for, for listeners, you know, it's, it's important to know how important it is to be with the right people, the right company, et cetera. And, uh, you know, you'll encounter those, but Lenny, you overcame that. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm blessed or my parents brought me up with a personality that I take that as a challenge as opposed to, I mean, of course I felt kind of depressed at the time, but I'm able, like, that, that's one of the things you got to do. You got to be able to brush off. It's, it's not, this person does not control the world and this, it's just one person's opinion and it doesn't mean that he's right. And it doesn't mean just because he is in a hiring position at the time at this particular company doesn't mean that what he said is basically the end, the end. So it was tough at the time, but I brushed it off. I went on another interview and this, this, this was very interesting because I remember that there was a Simride on that, on that particular company. And they told me that I failed the Simride. Like to this day, I don't know what, what I, to this day, I don't know what I did that that would that, like I, I can recall that sim ride a moment by moment. I, I still don't know what what made them think I failed this this sim ride. I think they they mixed up the paperwork with somebody else. I, I, I really have no idea what they what they thought the, the failure was. And again, I've been flying, you know, I've been flying for the airlines for, you know, for nine years and coming back, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what happened there. So how did you get beyond that? I mean, you, you knew you didn't, you knew you passed it. So, so what did yeah. you do to keep yourself moving forward? Yeah, that was, that was the two interviews. And that really got me uh, for a few days. I felt really, really bad. And, um, you know, cu- coming back, I'm not, you know, I'm not the best pilot in the world, but I would say I'm in the top two-thirds, or sorry, I'm a top third of the pilots that I see around me. So I'm not the worst guy, but I'm not the best guy. But I'm not average. I'm, I, I would say I'm above average, you know, kind of like a rational assessment of my, of my career. So, so that's uh, important to stop there, that you, you evaluated yourself and realized that, that you were better than, than the average person there, and, and you still felt that way back then. And you kept going forward, and I think that's important. If if someone gives you feedback and you get negative feedback, is to take that in context and look at yourself and say, "Is this correct or not?" Because sometimes you get evaluated, and the evaluation is not correct, or maybe they were evaluating and and possibly said, "Hey, you didn't, you didn't pass this sim ride," or maybe you know someone didn't like you or something like that, and that's what they <laughs> decide to say. You know, and that happens. True. They'll, they'll give you the wrong feedback. And sometimes you can get the wrong feedback, and I, and I really don't like that one. When I'm doing an interview, I say to them, listen, this is this is why we're, we're not taking it. It has nothing to do with your flying skills. It has to do with this, X, Y, and Z. Uh, so, but you'll never know that. But you still had confidence in yourself and went forward. And I think that's really important. So what yes. did you do? How did you, you – I, I, I reevaluated the whole thing, and I'm like, no, this is – you know, this was this is a setback, but it's not the end of the world. Something something's going to change, and uh, you know, and, and 
you know, this is it. It just happened in the wrong order. Then I got to then I went on two interviews and got two conditional offers from two other regionals. Awesome, awesome. And one of them included a sim ride. So that kind of when I got the two at the same time, that brought me right back up. I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, this is this is good. I I do belong. Did you think of giving up? Uh, I did not think of giving up. It's just not part of my personality. I take setbacks as a challenge and not as a something to be, you know, to be, oh, somebody tells you, you can't do this. I, 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 I don't say I can't do this. I say I will overcome. So if somebody out there is listening, I know that we've had people write in and haven't made it through the interview process or maybe made it, made it to a training and didn't make it through the training process. Uh, that doesn't mean they can't do this. And you're a great example of that as far as moving forward with with the same career. Just just keep moving forward and, and don't let it get you down. You know, you, you have to have confidence in yourself and know that there's certain sets of circumstances that, that didn't allow you to go forward at that moment. But now you're here where you are now and you're going to move forward. And that's really important, I think, Lenny. So so that's cool that you got two conditional offers. And uh, yeah. <laughs> after having those those two past experiences, much different. Yes, and uh, it was it was about three months later that I got the two conditional offers, then then the two two failures. So it was I had a lot of time to think to, to think about it, and I but I kept trying. I mean, my goal at the time was to get a company with that's that's based in New York, in in New York, because because you know I as as, as I'm sure. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people know commuting is no no piece of cake. So as a, as somebody who lives in New York, like you do not want to commute while living in New York. It just, it just takes two hours just to get to the airport. Uh, and then, dude, I know. Oh my gosh! I mean, just just driving about thirty miles can be two to three hours sometimes. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then and then like commuting to New York, I can understand that. But commuting from New York somewhere else, that's tough. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that's tough. So I, I picked a company that had no commute, and uh, here I'm still in. <laughs> so, and I actually, when, when I got there, the training, the training was tough. It was, um, and I had, uh, I had setbacks in training. I, I mean, I... I never failed any check rides or checking type events, uh, but it was kind of bittersweet to see my sim partner fail, uh, failed out of training oh boy. At, at the airline. So I don't know if any any you guys had experience with that. It brings you down. You feel guilty that you haven't helped or you you did something that was that messed the other person up. Or something like that. It, it was. It, it's tough, and it's tough on you because if it's you, you got uh, you have like to, to the listeners. When you are in the airline training, it's usually you have an instructor and you have two people taking the simulator training as a group. And obviously, if the person if in one seat is not doing well, it also like kind of rubs off on the other person. And also the instructor, if the instructor thinks one of you doesn't do well, he kind of lumps you in the same group. You you think the other guy's not doing well or not as well as he's doing already. So it's it just wasn't gelling, it wasn't happening. It was it was it was it was hard. It is hard. You know, I, I had a similar experience where actually it was a friend of mine 
and uh, worked with him, and uh, it really it didn't work out and didn't make it through training. To this day, we talk about it, and it's like 15 years later. And that that's a tough situation, but you look at it and you say, hey, you know, it worked out for the best for him, and uh, you, you don't know. It might work out uh, for the best for this person. So uh, it does. You have to look at it in a positive manner, uh, but uh, but you, you can't can't make yourself feel guilty. That's for sure. Uh, but at situation. the time, you know, you can't help oh, yourself, yeah. right? You're, when you're in yeah. it, and you see like when you're like right now, the training is a lot different than when I went through it. When I went through it, it's always check, check, check. The the instructor is always checking, and you're not doing it as a crew. You can't help the other guy. I believe now the training. I, I, again, I never went to initial training these days but i think these days a lot of training is more focused on the crew uh, crm aspects of things and it's a lot better now than it used to be yeah i'd have to agree with that so so now you you're you're where you are you got on with this airline you you had a choice to make between two airlines and that's uh that that choice was was easy i guess yes it was that, that, that was an easy choice for me and so you you decided to move into that airline field so let me ask you this: Is it what you thought it would be? Uh, well, that's a tough question to answer because I didn't think uh, I didn't know how it's going to be at all. This was all new for me. The on, only thing, the only expectations that I had was I was going to be slave to their schedule, and I would have to get up at early in the morning. Those are <laughs> the two things that people told me. And I'm a night owl. I don't like to get up early in the morning, so. Uh, there's two things that happened. I, uh, it, uh, it, I am a, obviously I am a slave to the airline schedule, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. I, I, uh, I was okay. It, it was, it was not. It, it was. I thought about being a slave to their schedule as a bad thing, but it turned out to be okay. I was not unhappy about being the slave to the schedule because my schedule was okay. I wasn't, uh, again, getting up in the morning, I think, for the first, I I don't know, for the first maybe two months, I got up like twice before like seven. After that, it was just noon or later, so I was kind of locked out with that. So now you have some seniority. You're able to get the schedules you want, I assume? Yes. Now, since I have some seniority, I, I have pretty much the pick of my schedule, but... Um, uh, my life changed and, uh, I got married and I have a child and we moved from New York city. I live in Lincoln, Nebraska now, which, you know, a shout out. I, I like this town. It's, uh, the lifestyle is great for the family. It's a great place to raise children, but with that comes commuting. And when we moved out here, the thought of commuting just made me want to barf <laughs> it, i was scared 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 as a as a matter of fact after we had the baby i took about five months off just to put the put commuting off for as long as possible wow five months yes i did not want to start commuting i wanted to put it off as much as possible and i wanted to be as close to the top of the seniority list as i could be when i did that <laughs> but now on this experience of commuting uh how has it gone so far i mean well the lincoln commute again it was just the, just the same as being slave to the airline schedule it's not too bad because as a senior as a senior fo 
I can pretty much pick my schedule. I, you know, I get up, I have a, uh, you know, 11 o'clock show. I can get up at like 7.30 in the morning and make the first flight. So my commute, my total commute went from perhaps two hours to three hours. So it's, it, and, you know, it, it, it was definitely exceeded my expectation. So you, you're one of the people that went from driving to work and to commuting. Yes. And again, what we mean by commuting usually is somebody who, who flies to work. So are you seeing within your schedule, are you seeing yourself gone more or the same, less? I mean, how has it worked out for you and also worked out for you financially as far as making money at the airline? Well, I've... Uh Disclaimer: I've only been commuting since the beginning of April, so, okay. so I haven't been doing it that much. No. Yeah, right. So hasn't <laughs> driven you nuts yet? No. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's a what, one hour and forty minute flight from Lincoln. They have four flights a day, and there's not there, the flights are not always full. You don't have to like compete with everybody for the jump seat. So it's not the worst commute in the world. Uh, so, uh, but again. I can't. I can't really make ends meet just by doing even now, just by doing uh, airline type uh, airline work. So I'm actually doing some of the technical work on the side. I contribute to open source software, and I'm lucky enough to get paid for it right now. So I do. Even if I'm just sitting at the airport, I'm not just sitting twiddling my thumbs. I can go do some uh, my uh, my computer work on the side. So this job enables you to have time to do other things, uh, which is nice. But, but yes. the, the one thing, though, of course, that's concerning to some people listening is is that, gosh, you know, you, you can't afford to, to live on just the salary of, of the airline pilot at a regional. Uh, but you're, you're looking at possibility someday, hopefully, upgrading, which then you could make the money. Uh, but in your situation, we were talking offline, they may not come for a while, will it? Yes, uh, and... It's 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 a tough it's a tough tough decision. Our airline just got a new agreement with one of the, one of the major partners to do a uh, to do a somewhat of a uh, I call it a fake flow through because it's not really a flow through agreement, but it's kind of a fake agreement. Uh, it's it's a guaranteed interview agreement, right. but um, and hopefully the movement will start. But now I have an issue. I have a decision to make. Whether if when the upgrade comes, whether to take it, because right now I'm a first-time commuter on the top of the seniority list. When I'm upgrade, I be, I go to the bottom of the seniority list. Right. And what that means is, right now I'm home 16 days off a month, and really, if you count the late starts and the early finishes, I would say my average will be 18 to 19 days at home a month. So that's not so bad. Right. And as a you know Lincoln commuter, it's not it's not a bad commute, so I don't stress out about it. But when you're in reserve and you have 11 days off and you have to get there the night before and then you get get home the day after, you may be home for only like three four days a month, really. Right. So that's kind of a tough decision there. That is a tough decision, and, uh, and and this will be interesting how this plays out for you. And we definitely want to keep up with this, but you. Uh, are looking possibly of maybe moving on to a, a different airline, say in a legacy, just like you said, you have this kind of like a quote unquote flow through. And, and gosh, I could do a whole episode on that. I've, I've helped negotiate a couple of different uh, agreements there. Uh, what, uh, 
you know, what do you think you might be doing in the future as far as, as moving on to, to a legacy or something that's flying different aircraft other than a regional? Yeah, okay. So I am a big proponent of getting, of, of moving up the career ladder as fast as possible. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I think you're in the same opinion, Carl. And I, I don't know, Tom, I think you're in the same opinion too. Like you want to, you want to move up as quickly as possible. Too. Yeah, I would agree. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in the, I'm, I'm of the same opinion, but for me, it just happened to be, I came into this industry at the worst possible time. I've had my application out. Oh, I don't know, maybe for ever since I joined the regional, I guess I've ever for, for nine years, I've been having application out. The only thing I'm not doing is going to like women in aviation and things like that. And I know some of that, that that's important. I just have not, I just have not done that for one reason or another. Um, but everything else I'm doing, I've applied to, uh, I've applied to basically every legacy and discount airline that has a commutable base from Lincoln. So I'm doing that, but nobody's called me. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed on that. But again, for me, the real, the, the, the real, the real deal is quality of life. I have a five month old daughter. I am, you know, again, sometimes you just have setbacks. I know it's competitive. I know. I mean, the, the key thing I think for listeners that they're listening to my story, I think what I, I think the takeaway, the biggest takeaway is this. It's not you and the other guy. It's you, the rest of the world, and another guy. So when somebody says no to you, they, they don't – or somebody at a hiring hiring from another company or somebody else maybe in a position of power, then they tell you no or they tell you you're not good enough or they tell you this or that. You can't take it personally. You can't say that you're not good enough or you're never going to be good enough. What you have what you have to think about is that it's you, them, and a million other people that are competing for the same position. So maybe at that particular point, they didn't like something about you or they liked something about the other person better, but it doesn't mean that life is over for you. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough and you're never going to be ever be good enough. Maybe in a year, that same person is going to be somewhere else or, or retired or, 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 you know, lighten up and change his opinion or her opinion about, about some aspects that they didn't like you about. So things change. People change. New people come in. People go from position to position. You can't take things like that personally. And, and if nobody's calling me, they've got, you know, a million people with 10,000 hours uh, I mean, I've got 5,000, you know, there's a million people with, you know, a lot more qualifications than I am. And be, just because I'm not in, getting called, that doesn't mean I'm not good enough. Right. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything, really. Sure. And and what's interesting, too, is and you've also limited your applications. It's not just every airline. You're looking at the airlines that are commutable from where you are. Uh, and and the other thing, too, is you, you're in a position where, uh you know the upgrades haven't come as quickly as as some other places. I mean, you you're looking at regionals now doing upgrades in just yes. a year or so, and and even the majors are doing like a couple of years on the on the on the upgrades. So things have kind of have changed a lot, and and we're you know we kind of want to hear this, or we definitely want to hear this whole story unravel. But I think what you said is important is that you're you're also included in this whole 
pool of other people. And the change, it, people always ask me, well, what are the qualifications for XYZ airline? And I'll say, well, it depends. This month they are this, and then next month they will change. Uh, you know, when I got hired with the regionals, it was, you know, 500 hours in a pulse. I didn't have 100 hours of multi when I got hired at the regionals. I had 76 hours of multi. And I was just starting to get my multi-engine time and, and got hired. So there's, there's a, it's different. Every day it changes. And you have to just keep applying and applying and then, you have to make yourself available for that interview. So yes. when people say that, oh, no, I didn't apply yet, uh, I would tell them, I hope you agree, apply no matter what. Keep your application in there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure, Lenny, your application's been with us, you know, some airlines more than a few months. You probably oh, yeah, have. absolutely. <laughs> Again, well, I applied to, uh, I mean, I, I, I applied to uh, most airlines about, for about as long as I've been in the regional, it's been nine years. Yeah, yeah, and you said that in the beginning. That's and that's important. I think people need to see that. They also, and this is something else too, is that you know I talk to recruiters all the time, and they see somebody that's interviewed once and interviewed twice. Don't think that you need you should give up. That third or fourth interview, never give up. Never ever give up. You're right because you never know that third or fourth interview is the one that makes it into the airline. And not only that, they look at that and say, Hey, wait a minute. This person really does want to work here, don't they? And it's so cool to see somebody on their third or fourth interview get in with the airline that they want to get with, and and they're very happy. They they absolutely absolutely enjoy it. You know, Lenny. Before we we close out here, though, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about your your job and the flying. Do you do you still like it? I absolutely love it. Uh, I try to ignore. There's our our company. The morale in our company isn't great. And I fly because I'm senior. I fly with a lot of senior captains that's been there for years, and uh, they develop a negative. Some of them develop a negative attitude. I, I have to say, majority of guys that I fly with and girls that I fly with have an amazing attitude, but there are a few that will just complain constantly. You just have to ignore that. Right, and that's really important not to let those people get you down, those naysayers. Uh, and you really have to bring your personality to your job because it doesn't matter what you're doing, what kind of job you have. There's naysayers and everything. Uh, even in the computers, you know, I was in there during that whole period where you know the the things were going wonderfully well, and I got out right before the dot com crash, and it, it's like it's like geez, you know, it was just, that was luck. It was really. brutal. Yeah, that was luck. I mean, I I got out, and you know, ninety nine is when I started doing the airline thing, and of course, two thousand one, I I was on the, right. the street for a while, obviously because of the you know nine eleven, but. You know, you just have to. People then were complaining about it, and I'm like, you know, you just have to enjoy it. Uh, and anything you do, you have to really enjoy. It. And if you don't, you know, you maybe you should start looking towards something else. You know, you talk about the airlines and and flying for the airlines, but other people they want to go fly for corporate, and they find that that commute that you're talking about is is something that they don't want to do. They want to yeah. drive. Well, look at Tom. Tom drives to work. And, yeah. and and that's a that's something you have to decide on. A lot of what you're saying and, and what I'm hearing from you, it's not it's not just the job, it's the lifestyle, it's the, the specific place you're working. But the other thing I'm hearing from you is is don't give up. I mean there's there's not many people who have been through the adversity that you have uh with your especially in early in life, being in a country where you're not really welcome due to your religion to be working in certain industries, especially being an airline pilot, totally off the radar. So now you oh. find yourself as an airline pilot. Yes, it's 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 amazing. I uh, even when you know sometimes things get to you. Sometimes 
you are, you know, when I was when I was living in New York, my biggest fear was that the airline's going to reassign me and give me an early morning flights. That was that that was my biggest fear. And inevitably, once in a blue moon, it just happened maybe once or twice in my whole nine years, it happened. And that got got me, you know, riled up. I don't like that. <laughs> now, now, of course, as a commuter, I get that. I, I I like the early morning stuff on the last day. Yeah, but yeah. That's that... a, that's a, that's a different story. Uh, but you, it's it's it, it just that's the way of life. I have a true passion for aviation. Again, when I went to the airlines, I um, when I went to the airlines, I didn't know whether I was going to like it. And I didn't know, like, I, I didn't know, I, I went with zero expectations. But from the training on, I love, I love the, I love the pace of the training. I was sick through the whole ground school. It was, I was actually miserable. But I loved, I loved the training. I loved the simulators. And I love being in that cockpit. And I love, um, I actually, Carl, you, you, you have, you know, you, you mentioned something about people in the back. Uh, I, when I'm in that cockpit, I don't even, I don't even like remember having people in the back. I'm just, I'm just there. I'm enjoying myself. I want to do a great job. I want to, you know, take the challenges head on and solve the problems. And, you know, if, and I, I, I like dealing with, you know, different kinds of people, but we, as you know, as airline people, we don't really deal with, uh, with the people in the back that much. As you know, as a rule, you know there are obviously always some exceptions. But uh, when I'm flying the airplane, I, I I am just trying to enjoy myself, and that's you know that's what I do. I face the challenges. That's awesome. And so you you know what you like about that job and, and the challenges involved, and everybody has some way of looking at their job and enjoying it. Uh, you know, I love to look at the colors down below me as I'm flying by. I yep, love, love those challenges of, of the landings, et cetera, uh, and, and the takeoffs and different scenarios, flying around the mountains, et cetera. And I think that's really cool that, that you've done that, and, and you've, made, you've made it yours. This is your job, and you get to enjoy that. And I think everybody listening should 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 do that. And if you if you think you've had challenges, I think that the most important thing that people can do when they're listening to this is rewind and go back to the beginning and listen to to Lenny's you know adventure you know from Russia to here to the U.S. for a love of aviation. I mean, it, it's really awesome uh, the story that you've had, and I'm sure there's so many other stories you could tell about the struggles along the way. Uh, and I think. Uh, it's really important that that we do. We we listen to these stories, and it keeps us motivated to move forward. And uh, and I think that's really important, don't you, Lenny? Yes, I uh, I absolutely do. I think I need to mention the one thing that it's been mentioned before many times, but every time I hear that word, it encompasses so much in aviation, especially commercial career aviation. The attitude, I think. 95 well i would describe i would describe the airline job as 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 in two words well not two words but but two items bring a positive attitude and show up show up on time that's that's all there is to it I like that. A positive attitude no matter what you do, but show up on time is incredibly important with the airlines. Uh, it's not it's not one of those jobs you, you can be lackadaisical, can you, about about not showing up on time. I've always I've joked about this, but you can bend metal, but just make sure you're on time. 
And that's uh, it, it's and that's joking, by the way. You, you don't want to do either, you don't want to do either one, but always, always be on time. That's extremely important. But positive attitude, I think that's the really most important because that just cures every ill that there is. If you're going to be negative, everything else falls falls with that. If you're positive, you can overcome. It's 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 amazing what kind of adversity. Like I've I've got. I've got a lot of adversity recently in, in my life. My my mom is not in the best of health, and my dad also. My dad is recovering yeah. from cancer, and uh, he they caught it early, so I think he's going to be fine. But a lot of adversity. That's good. It, it's 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 really no matter who you are, life constantly gives you challenges, and if you don't have a positive attitude, and if you don't have "thou shall overcome" type of attitude you are just not going to succeed at life. And I think the key to success is just not taking things personally and have a good attitude. Aviation career or any other kind of career. I'm just fortunate that I've been lucky enough to have two passions in this world. My, uh, you know, my aviation career, I love my aviation career, I'm passionate about it. My, uh, my uh, software uh, programming career, I, I love doing that. I would not be doing it if I wouldn't. I have a question for you, Carl. Okay, sure, shoot. About your, uh, your, or your, personal, your personal flying. Um, so you're flying for a major now, and you used to fly for a regional. Like yesterday, not yesterday, a couple of days ago, I actually went to a place I've never been before in Mexico, and we were flying over the jungle, and then we landed. It was like a three-hour flight from Houston, which was like out of the way, nowhere, right? <laughs> and and it was, uh, you know, it was non-radar, uh, and I kind of enjoy stuff like that. Do you still get to do that in in your current airline? Oh yeah, a lot of non-radar, and uh, you know, I think that's a great question because. A lot of people don't realize as you get to the majors, et cetera, if you go to different places uh, such as those airports in Central and South America, you're doing a lot of non-radar approaches and, and other places besides. It, Western it, U.S. And exactly. <laughs> Even in the U.S., there's there's places that you'll go that you, there is no radar. Uh, and, and also going into airports that you're having to do your own traffic calls, airports that are shut down. Yep. You know, I still fly into, excuse me, not shut down that don't have a tower uh operating so yeah still in the middle of the night flying yep, into airports cool. uh, that and it's really it's kind of cool because you're sitting there like uh this is you know airbus so-and-so on the left downwind and <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome i'm glad i'm glad you get to still do that tom i'm sure you do that a million times all the time yeah a good chunk of our flying is uh you know it's so unstructured in terms of where we go compared to what you guys are doing. So we get a fair amount of exposure to those things, yes. Interesting. <laughs> What's your shortest flight, Tom, that you remember? Oh, in the corporate world? Yeah. Oh, uh, probably repositioning across Phoenix for, for whatever reason. I can remember doing that a couple of times, you know, so it's a six-minute. Actually, I can think of a three-minute flight from uh, Scottsdale to Deer Valley. Uh, it's probably the shortest one. Yeah, that was amazing. I just had to do a charter when we repositioned from Kansas City International to downtown, yeah, which was yep. about a four-minute flight. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get to finish the after-takeoff checklist, and we were already right. landing. 
Awesome. You know, we, we all, you know, it's, it's interesting. Some have uh, long flights, some have shorter flights. So we all go through those those uh, look backs as far as, you know, what was my shortest, what was my longest. My shortest flight was actually from, from Houston to Houston. We used to do that all the time when I was flying the Brasilia uh, mm. down there. But uh, And then now I look at, you know, a short flight being two and a half to three hours. It's oh, a yeah. short hop. And, and it's a so it's so different when you look back. Uh, now you get up to altitude, you cool off, everything's nice, and then you land, you go outside, that type of thing. It's it's a lot more relaxed when you're you're flying uh, for an air with an aircraft that goes uh, you know on a long distance, that type of thing. Well, I gosh, think there's a takeaway there, uh, yes. just just real quick, uh, Carl, for the listeners who are coming up in their careers. I mean, we're talking short flights and kind of how it's funny and and fun and those things, but how important and, and maybe not necessarily do we need to answer this but for the listeners to think about how important is it to know your IFR procedures you know you're talking non radar we're talking uncontrolled fields we're talking short flights you know the instrument flying handbook and, and all the things that we use as we come up through the ranks to learn how this system works i think we can take it for granted uh, and a good review if we're a veteran and a thorough study if we're new is definitely worth looking into because these IFR procedures are you know yes they're simple but more importantly, they're critical to making this whole thing work, i.e. Mm-hmm. safety. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, sometimes we forget about those things and in our flying, especially when we get to, you know, say the majors and we're flying between, say, New York yeah. and Florida as opposed to somewhere else that's non-radar. Where do I make my calls? When do I make my calls? And, and when can I descend? Those type of things. I yeah. think that's a great, great point, Tom. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, gosh, we're, we're running out of time here, Lenny. If we, Lenny, if we, if we could have you back on again, it'd be great to hear more about your sto- stories. This has been been terrific. And uh, if someone has some questions for Lenny, they can write into us. We'll forward them on. I'm sure you'd be more than happy to get back. I to them. would be very happy to uh, answer any questions. And uh, I, again, I would love. I, I love paying it forward. So if anybody is considering and considering a career in aviation. Even if it's again that was never on their radar, uh, I would I would love to I would love to help. Awesome, thanks, Lenny, and uh, also Tom. Thanks for for coming in with us today, and uh, always an inspiration. Uh, you know, as as far as somebody with a really positive attitude, Tom, and he's he's it. You know, I I don't think this guy ever gets down. I think that's terrific, Tom. <laughs> always and, always good to be here, Carl. I enjoy it. Thanks for the invite. It's so cool to have two people on here that are always up, and and people tell me I'm always up, but you know, it's 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 a, it's just so neat just to to see people move forward and to listen to your stories uh, from listeners, etc. By the way, if you do have a question, you're listening now, and you have a question for Lenny, for myself, from Tom, any of the other guests that we've had, it's uh, easy to find us, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com, or just go to the website, aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can find all the different information we have there, interview prep, coaching, uh, the scholarship sky, which keeps growing every day. It's all out there. Just click on there, and if you ever have any questions, send them to us. We'll get back to you with, a, with an answer, uh, or if we don't have the answer, we know the people that can get the answer, and we'll research it for you. Well, folks, you know, like I say every time uh, at the end of the podcast, I, I really hope that you do something. Do something now uh, to move forward in your career. If you have a struggle, you've listened to Lenny's story, you know, do something that, that you feel that would help you in that struggle. It may be something small. maybe picking up a book that is about dealing with struggles. It could be that. It could be something like uh, Tom mentioned. Pick up that IFR manual. Pick up a flying manual about how to do approaches. No matter what it is, if it's small, if it's large, do something. Do something now. I really appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode, and safe flying.
You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.